when life is tough and when things aren't going the way that we would like them to. Peter was writing to people who were under pressure. He was writing to people who were in times of difficulty. And throughout the book, he emphasizes there's a way to respond to that that works. There's a way to respond to that that brings about a fruitful life. There are also things that you can do that will make life more difficult and, and, and more troubling for you. Now, as we come to chapter 5, he focuses his attention now more on the church. This mic is just going to drive you guys nuts by the time. Is it okay? Oh, okay. I mean, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> I just think you're, you're, all you're going to remember is the mic was bad this morning. So we'll try to work it out before third service. So come back if you need to hear it clean. <laughs> Some of you need to hear this message twice. But, but then I'm assuming you listen to it on the radio for a service. So. No, just kidding. But... What Peter is doing here is that <laughs> Steve stood in front of it and it went off, so that's good. Um, you know, why don't you just get the CD from first service and let's go home. <laughs> no, nah, it's okay. We'll just do this. Where are we? First Peter chapter 5, right? Peter here addresses the church. In a, in a time that's difficult and in a time of pain, the church, the body of Christ, should be the place where everything is made right. Where we're facing difficulties throughout the week, we are going through the issues and problems of living in a world that's full of sin, and then there we are with God's people. We've been put together, gifted by him. He has great things in store for us. And when we come to church, it should feel like, okay, this is where I get oriented. This is where my base is. It's from this strength that then I can go on and deal with the week and deal with the rest of my life. That's the way it's supposed to work. In reality, for many of us, church has been the source of as much pain as the world. In fact, when you get hurt in church, it hurts even worse because you're expecting the church to be a place that makes it okay. And when it's the church that hurts you, it's, it's double hurts because it's not doing what it's supposed to do and it's adding pain into your life. And Peter certainly understood about this and understood also that the church is supposed to be where it actually works, where good things actually happen. And so he gives some advice here, and he starts out by addressing the elders, and, uh, or the Greek word is presbyteros, it, it means elder or pastor or leader. Um, he addresses them first, because that's where it has to start. If something's wrong in the church, the first place you look is to the leader of the church. And so he says, the elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. He said, I hope you know I'm certainly a pastor. I know 
what I'm talking about. I was with Jesus. I even saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. I was the guy that preached the first sermon. So he goes, when I'm talking about elders, presbyteros, I know what I'm talking about. But he says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. A great promise of reward for a Christian leader, but a heavy burden of responsibility as well. To whom much has been given, much is required. And so this is a passage that frankly, as a shepherd, as a pastor, it makes me a bit uncomfortable because it's calling me to task for what I do, but not only what I do, but for how I do it, the attitude that I have as I do it. And, and what he lays out here is not easy. It's far from just being a simple thing, and frankly, it's hard to find people who really get this. But notice in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. A couple things to note. A lot of times people think the idea of shepherding and sheep and all that is, is an insult to the people. Because, you know, and they'll even, you'll hear pastors saying, you know, sheep are the dumbest animal there ever is, and that's the way people are at church. So you need to herd them like cats. And so, but he is saying, no, this is the flock of God. These are God's people, and it's a term of, of endearment. Jesus himself calls himself a shepherd, the good shepherd. And in David, in, in the 23rd Psalm, used his love for his sheep to, to illustrate the fact that the Lord is his shepherd and how he, the Lord just takes care of him. And so this is not pejorative at all. This is not insulting. He's reminding us, and by the way, if you're not a pastor, you have a pastor. And so it's important to understand this, but also these are principles that apply to any kind of spiritual leadership. If you are involved in a home fellowship and you're one of the leaders of that, if you have a family and you are leading your family, if you're involved in a business or in any other way you find yourself in a position of leadership, all of these things are critically important to remember that those people are God's. And that you are to be among them, not above them, not beyond them, not from a distance. Remember whose they are. But he says, serving as overseers, the word overseer there is the word episkopos, and presbyteros for elder and episkopos for bishop or overseer. These refer to the same people, just different titles. Now, episkopos, epi means upon, and skopos is to look, look closely at. So it's like people who are looking closely over other people. Um, remember, if you were here last week, that same word episkopos came up when he was warning about people who are suffering for the wrong reasons. And there in verse 16, um, he, uh, or no, in verse 15, after talking about murderers, thieves, and evildoers, he says, or as a busybody in other people's matters. The word there is allopiscopos. It's to oversee other people's stuff 
to stick your nose into other people's stuff, to make yourself the overseer over other people. Now, that is a problem, and that brings trouble. And as soon as you start bossing people around or telling them what to do or taking a role that they haven't asked you to take, that will bring suffering. <laughs> but here he is saying, hey, there is a legitimate position of the episkopos. And for someone who is a shepherd, yes, they are to look out for others. They are to take that position. But, he says, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Now, that's the first little uh, offsetting couplet that he uses. It's not by compulsion. It's because you choose to. And I think this is one of the basic things in any kind of leadership. Do you really want to do this? Because there's nothing more discouraging than to try to follow someone who doesn't really want to lead. And they're going, look, don't follow me. You know, ignore me. I don't even want to do this. I'm here because I have to be here. And, you know, as, as a parent saying to kids, look, I have no choice. If I throw you out on the street, I'll end up being in trouble with the law for deserting you, so I have to lead you. That's not the kind of thing that gets you wonderful cards on Mother's Day. It's not, that's not the kind of thing that inspires someone. And, and for, for Christian leaders, it's so important that you decide that God has actually called you to this, no matter what the position is of leadership, and that you say, I'm not making you do things. I'm not compelling you to do it, and I don't feel compelled to do it. Nothing is more discouraging than trying to follow someone who doesn't want to lead. And it can be really destructive to church. Now, I know myself, um, and I could be a bad example of all these things, but you know, when I came to take over this church, uh, there were more problems than I had any idea that I was going to be facing. More things under the surface, challenges and difficulties. And besides that, I was leaving a church that I just really loved. And it was kind of for a few years, it was just always, you know, every time I'd be going, oh man, things are rough, Pastor Chuck would always go, why don't you come back? And I'd be like, oh, you know, because I, I feel like God's called me to this, but I don't really want to be here. And I know that wasn't healthy for the church, because I would often say things like, you know what, if you guys, if 10 of you decide you want me out of here, I'm gone. I don't care, I don't want to be here. When we, it's funny, when we set up the bylaws for the church, um, I basically kind of put them together, and it was made so that I'm the easiest person to get rid of in the church, basically. Now, everyone told me, you need to make sure that in your bylaws that a rogue elder can't throw you out, that people can't, you know, a, a group of people can't turn on you. And, do, and I was like, what? Why do I want to protect my job? I don't want this job. And... <laughs> And so I made it really easy, and I made, you know, the elders, it would have to be unanimous or we couldn't do anything, and really irresponsible, but it was because there was a big part of me that didn't know whether I really wanted to do this. I had worked, you know, as an assistant pastor running a school and things like that for 25 years. So being a pastor, I just wasn't sure. I mean, I, I knew God called me to do it, but I didn't have to like it. But... That really affects people when they can pick up from you that you don't really want to do this. And I know a lot of people were hurt by that, and the church was weakened by that. 
And eventually, God had to confront me and say, do you want to do this or not? You don't have to do this. Don't get up every day thinking like, oh, God's making me do this. And life got so much easier when I came to the conclusion that I really do want to do this. I don't want to let go. I'm not hoping that someone else will come along who steals the church from me. That's not my, you know, my, my wish. And, and here, it's, if you're going to be a leader, decide that that's really what you want to do and that you're choosing to do it, not by compulsion, but you're willing. You know, you, you might have to be your kid's parent, but you also need to act as if you're blessed to be able to be their parent, that that's a privilege. And then he goes on and says, not for dishonest gain, and that's um, probably an unfortunate translation. The idea is you're not doing this like it's a job, but you're doing it eagerly. You're looking forward to what's going to happen. You, you anticipate the future with an excitement and with an optimism. Um, it's easy to win I mean, and no one really gets in the ministry to get rich, but when you know that this is your job, it's easy to start to do it like it's a job. You forget the fact that, man, before this was my job, I, was doing, I would have done anything to be able to just share with somebody about Jesus. When I was going to school full-time, and I was working in a, in a machine shop full-time, and I was ministering full-time for free, I loved it. But it can get to the point where it's like, this is so every day that I'm just doing my job, that's all. That's my job, that's what I have to do. The Lord has had to speak to me and deal with me on, on this sometimes, where I can look at my calendar and just dread the future. Because I know that with everything I have scheduled, I also get, you know, 100, 200 emails every day from things that need responses and people who will be upset with me if I don't respond. People who call and say, could you please call me, but they don't leave their number. Um, you know, it, had a guy this week who's threatening me. He, I don't think he had met me, but, he, you know, he was mad at something I had said, and he said, you know, listen, little man, if I, and I'm like, okay, I don't think we've met, you know, and he said, he said, you're lucky you didn't say that to my face, because I would just kick your, you know, and I, everything within me just wanted to go, here's my address, here's the time, come on over, big man, but, you know. But I actually apologized to him. I go, hey, whatever, if I said something that hurt you, that, that really wasn't my intent. But, you know, Peter is just going, no, ministry is not about what you have to do. But I look at my week and I go, okay, on Monday I have to do this, on Tuesday I have to do this, on Wednesday I have to do this. And the Lord just spoke to me and he said, don't you want to do this stuff? Isn't, isn't this stuff that you feel like I'm leading you to do? Because if I didn't lead you to do it, cancel it. Don't do it. But if I led you to do it, it means that I want to work in that counseling appointment or in that speaking opportunity or in that meeting or whatever it is, look forward to it. And I've really tried to change my perspective and I look at my week that's upcoming and my month that's upcoming and I don't go, oh boy, in a few weeks I have to go to China and I have this and I have this, but I'm like, 
I have reasons why I am looking forward to everything that I see in my future. And that's the way it's supposed to be. You're eager. You're like, oh, not sitting there going, I hope they don't ask for another Sunday school teacher. Because I don't want to do that. I feel like God's calling. Want. No, don't do anything if you're not excited about it. Even when it comes to giving, the scriptures say, don't give grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. When we pass the, the plate for you to put money into it, if you're going, oh man, I hate to part with this, and you're hanging on tight, just keep your money. It's okay. God doesn't, God doesn't want people to do things because they have to. And especially for a pastor, for a leader, for a leader of any type in the church, he wants people who are actually looking forward to what God is going to do and the opportunities that he gives us. And often we love what we do, but then when we are committed to it, it starts feeling like it's our job. And he says it shouldn't be that way. And then he says, kind of summing it up in verse 3, not as being lords, masters, over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Leadership isn't about bossing people around. Leadership isn't about creating the, uh, the environment in which you feel most comfortable. Church is not about the guy on the stage. And what God does in our church is not all about promoting me. It's not the church of Dave. It's not the, you know, yeah, we go to, to, to Dave Rolfe. You go to Dave Rolfe. How, how sad that would be. Um, and, and I don't want to make you feel guilty. If you say that, I understand. But, but ultimately, it's so important that leaders understand it's not about you. When God gives you an opportunity to serve his people, it's a privilege for you. But you're not the boss. But at the same time, in this case, for a pastor, you are the elder. You are the one who is leading. You are the episkopos. And it's a difficult contrast to, to be the leader and not to make it about you. And that's something that I think every pastor hopefully struggles with. It's something that I have to struggle with all the time because on the one hand, I'm fighting the urge to make the church my church because I know best I'm more devoted, I'm more experienced, I know more, so therefore, I'm just going to make it mine. And I have to fight against that, because I am not the Lord of the church, Jesus is. And he has a way of throwing curves at us often and changing even the way that we do things. Now, at the same time, what happens, and he's going to talk about the key here in a moment, that's humility. At the same time, when, uh, when a pastor shows a sign of weakness, or when a pastor seems to not be pushing his own agenda, that brings in a flood of people who have their own agendas. And so the battle for a pastor is, I have to fight against myself from becoming Lord over the church, but I also have to fight against a whole slew of other lords who are wannabe lords of the church, who, hey, Dave, if you're not going to run this thing, we will. And so it's a real delicate balance here. But he says, you know, um, when the chief, if you do this and you're an example, 
That means the word tupos in the Greek. It means that you are someone that's a stamped out version of, of what a healthy Christian life looks like. That as a leader, if other people became more like you, they might be better off. You, they can look at your life and go, yeah, it, this works for him. This is, this is something that there's an example here somehow. Not perfect, but an example. And he says, and I believe this goes not only for pastors who are faithful, but it, it goes for every parent or employee, employer or anyone else who is faithful unto the Lord. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Wonderful promise of, of a blessing that comes when you resist the urge to run things. And when instead you lay an example and you live among the people and you, you are striving to, to be who God wants you to be and you're looking forward to that and you're choosing that as a lifestyle. And this sounds good, but am I the perfect example of this? Not every day, that's for sure. So I just want to be honest with you. This passage is very, very convicting to me. But then... He gives one, thankfully, right after that, that should be convicting to you. Uh, no. <laughs> he says in verse 5, likewise, you younger people. Now, this isn't referring to people who are younger. He was calling the, the pastors elder, and so now he's saying, and for you non-elder types, people within the church, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. The responsibility of the pastor is to provide a good example, to avoid his own pride, to, to, to be a servant, to lead willingly with a good attitude, with an optimism. The responsibility of the people within the church is to submit to that elder. Now, this right away starts sounding fishy. Oh, I knew there was a catch. Yeah, you were kind of hard on yourself a little bit. You cut yourself a lot of slack. And now here comes the sermon where you go, you people need to submit to me. Um, I didn't say it. God did through Peter. Um, and yes, it's true. If you're ever going to, to be everything that God wants you to be, and if the church is ever going to be what it's supposed to be, there has to be a submission of the people in the church who are following the leader, the elder, the pastor, the overseer of the church. And this is something that for us today is kind of foreign. By the way, the word there for submit is the Greek word hupotasso. The word tasso means to arrange, to organize and structure. And the word hupo means under. The word means you adjust yourself to that person who's the leader. It's the same word that's used for wives submitting to husbands and for all of us to submit ourselves one to another. Now, in explaining and talking about this, I need to make something really clear. You will never know submission until the one to whom you are submitted does something that you disagree with. See, it's not submission when you're following along after someone who's going exactly where you want to go. 
and, and this is a problem in marriage, and this is a problem in church. You generally marry someone because you think that their trajectory is exactly what yours is. You want what they want, and you know. You, you go, I would follow you anywhere, because I know where you're going, and that's where I want to go too. That's not really submission. To submit to someone as long as you agree with them is simply to submit to yourself. It's just to be selfish. And frankly, and I don't want to be too hard on the church or any of us, but let's face it, in this day and age, um, how do people pick a church? And how committed are they to a church? Um, generally, it's all, you know, back in the day, years ago, there would be one church in each town. And if you lived in the town where there was that church, that was your church. And you went there your whole life, and you were buried out back, and your kids and your grandkids, they all went, that was just the way it went. Well, somewhere along the line, churches started dividing, denominations were forming, and eventually there was a church on every street corner as we have today. And I have people today come and tell me, you know, God's telling me to start a, a new Calvary Chapel in a city where there are four of them already. I'm like, okay, I, you know, that'll be fine because in all those four churches that are there, there are people who are just ready to bail anyway. So you can pick up some of that and that will work. But people today just, just pick churches like they pick a restaurant. If you get a bad meal, you just quit going there. I mean, that's what I do with a restaurant. A lot of people are just that way with the church. It's like, eh. Now, please don't misunderstand me. And those of you who are here for the first time, I'm not trying to drive you out the door back to your other church or anything else. At some point, you have to choose a church based on the fact that you trust the integrity of the pastor. That's what it comes down to. And if you ever don't trust the integrity of the pastor, you probably shouldn't, shouldn't be there, I suppose. But make sure that you're not judging the pastor based on whether or not they agree with you and what you think God is telling you. Because here's the thing. If God is going to speak to a church, God's going to speak to the pastor. That's how he does it. So if you're going, I don't know, I don't bear witness, okay, start your own church where you do it your way or bounce from church to church until you find somebody that you can agree with for a while until it doesn't work out so much and then you go somewhere else. And this is what goes on nowadays that the level of commitment is to the point where until I disagree with you, I'm in. But as soon as you do something that stretches me or that offends me or that I don't like, listen, there's plenty of other churches. I can walk to some of them, and I'm out of here. Now, what does that do? Well, it's really defeating to the pastor who's trying to lead when this great American tradition of rebellion kicks in and you're ready to throw a Boston Tea Party over the church every time, you know, you don't like the music or something. But beyond that, are you ever going to submit? Are you ever going to learn that it doesn't have to be your way, that you'll be fine if it's a little different? And, and see, Peter is just saying, it's this teamwork, it's this cooperation that's absolutely necessary because there are huge lessons that you will learn when you submit to something that doesn't go your way. It would be a terrible marriage if you never disagreed.
because that's not even a relationship. That's just two clones. And it would be an awful church relationship if we all, if all I did was say things that I know everyone here agrees with. Now, the church nowadays, the reason why so often churches have to water down their message and avoid anything that's controversial or offensive is because we pastors know. I can tell that joke and it's really funny, but people are going to leave over it. I can make this decision, but I know it's going to cost us people. And so the temptation and the tendency is to just go, I better just water this down. I better not be offensive because let's face it, some of the largest churches in the country are churches who would never offend anyone over anything. And so as a pastor, you look at that and go, you know, I don't want to be here by myself. And now, again, it's not just doing your own agenda. It's not the pastor getting up and ranting on his own deal. But there has to be this place where we just go, you know what, this is my home. This is my church. You're my pastor, and I expect you to do things I disagree with, and that'll be good for me. I expect to see things that I don't think are a good idea. Hey, we can't, you know, we made the decision to expand the sanctuary. You may not like that idea. You may go, I want to go to a church that doesn't have plywood walls. <laughs> but there might be something really good that God does in your life through plywood walls and through having to be a little uncomfortable. Or if worship is too loud, you have to bring your earplugs to church with you. There might be something good about that. But what Peter is saying here is, hey, you guys are a team. And God doesn't call pastors because they're the best people in the church, but he calls them sometimes because of their weaknesses, because he knows that a guy like that, it'd be pretty hard for him to ever start really thinking it's about himself. And so, and, and God has ways of humbling leaders, no doubt, but God also wants to humble everyone else in the church, and that's what he goes on here to talk about. So this is something that is incredibly difficult. And this is something that in our society you don't hear much about. And if you hear someone talking about it, it's because they're trying to force people to stay at their church. They're trying to make you feel guilty if you would leave. And that's not it. I Believe me, if there's somebody who's, who doesn't like me, of course, it's, my life would be much better if, if they weren't here, without a doubt. Even if somebody's mad at me, I'm, it's, a, it's a breath of fresh air as they leave out the door, but that's not the way the church is supposed to be. That's not the way our heart's supposed to be. And so as long as we make this thing happen that I'm not going to adjust, and when I disagree with you, I'm out the door, we don't really have a church. And God can't do what he wants to do. But the key is humility. Humility and pride, the most key concept in all of life, without a doubt. And so Peter begins to talk about this. He says, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, the key to this whole thing is humility. Pride is the worst sin of all. When you start talking about sins, 
we tend to think sometimes of some gross moral offenses or some very public things or some, but the truth is behind every sin is pride. Um, C.S. Lewis called it the mother of all sins. He, he said that pride is what made the devil the devil. Pride is thinking that it needs to be your way, that it has to be the way you want it to be. Humility is making that hupotasso, that adjustment, and realizing it's not just about me, that sometimes I need to suck it up and deal with things for the sake of someone else. Now, for a pastor to do that, the church will be blessed. For the people in the church to do that, the church will be blessed. If they don't do that, as we will see, devastation will occur in the church. But the key to understand is humility. Now you go, but wait a minute. I do not want to humble myself to that person. No. You don't humble yourself before the pastor. You don't humble yourself before the church or anyone else in your life, even before your own spouse. As Peter points out here, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he can exalt you. You say, God, I am willing to deny what I want right now for you. Now, before that, as he said, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That ought to scare you. It's a quote from Proverbs 3. The word there for resist, remember I said hupotasso, the word submit means to align yourself or arrange yourself under. This is the word antitasso, to arrange against. What Peter is saying here is if you don't get this, if you don't follow this, God is stacking the deck against you. Everywhere you turn, you might bounce from church to church to church. Maybe God's just going, you know what? Right now your life is miserable because you aren't trusting me. You're not submitting to me. You're not walking in humility. And so as a result, you're against me. You've made yourself to be against me. So we definitely need to look at this and just go, whether as a pastor, as a leader, as just someone who is a part of the church, Am I allowing myself to be humbled under God, under his hand? Do I say, okay, God, this is your problem. And then, as Peter says, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. You may not be convinced that your leaders care about you. The real question is, does God care about you? So if he does, are you willing to give it to him? Are you willing to entrust it to him? Or are you going to take it into your own hands? The decision that you make as to whether I am going to resist, understand you're resisting God, and that will never work out well. I've seen people who go into a rebellious thing because they just don't like what somebody does who is their leader, and they never make a comeback. It never works out for them because God sets himself against you when you do that. And I have certainly been in a position where God set himself against me. Everywhere I turned, things weren't working right, and I had to go back and say, okay, God, where's my pride? What is it whereby I have not been adjusting myself? I have not been willing to have someone else do it their way. I've not been trusting that you would speak to people, and that's a miserable place to be. 
But he says, now starting with verse 8, Peter explains what happens when we don't do this. And he starts with some negative stuff. He says, be sober, be under control, don't be drunk. Be vigilant, the word means to be awake, pay attention. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Peter says, this isn't just about keeping a happy church life. This is about what the devil wants to do. Now, it's the most natural thing in the world to have the problems that he's been addressing because often pastors will be selfish and will get in the flesh and will get a persecution complex and will start getting paranoid and, we, and, we, and we're looking for a fight and we want to run, we want to quit. That happens. It especially happens when people aren't in submission. There's nothing more frustrating than trying to lead people who don't want to follow and you go, I feel like God is telling us to go this direction. And everybody goes, no, we're not. We've never been that direction before. We're going this. And you go, that's frustrating. So what happens is your pride kicks in. You begin to just go, these people aren't worth serving. They're not the flock of God. You know, they're a bunch of pigs in a pen. And so, so every Sunday I'm going to get up here and I'm just going to beat them. I'm just going to show them. I'm going to lash out at them. I'm going to make them feel bad. And at the same time, when a pastor is prideful, when a pastor is all about himself and his own agenda, do people want to submit to that? Do people want to go, okay, it's all the pastor show. And so I guess we're just Hollywood extras filling up seats and paying for this whole operation. Well, when that happens, people are not the most loyal, submissive people in the world the thing ends up becoming a spiral. Pastor gets discouraged and tired. It starts to show. It's, things become a mess. People are rebelling because they don't feel secure in what's going on in the pastor's life. Most of us have been in churches and seen this kind of thing happen. And it begins to spiral, and here comes the devil. And he goes, I am going to swallow this hole. I have a chance to devour a bunch of people. And so often, one person's problem grows to other people because, you know, we have to share our prayer requests and let people know what's going on. I owe you an explanation. And, I, and so this thing grows. Pastors get bitter. People get rebellious. Satan wins. He takes a big bite, a big chunk out of our lives. And many of us have been in situations where we've seen that happen. Others of us have dodged a bullet a few times when it was close. But he says, realize if you don't do this, if a pastor allows his pride to, to not make him to be an example among the people, and if the people decide that they know better than the pastor and they're going to call the shots and, and predict what's going to happen based on where their pressure lies, they're going to be signing petitions, they're going to be putting, you know, threatening to leave, they're going to be all, you know, let's see how they do when I quit tithing or what. You know, the church gets chomped on. That's just how it works. It's as simple as that. But, he says... But may the God of all grace, 
who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After you have suffered a while, the word means just a little while, may he perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. When, when a pastor does what they're supposed to do, a leader does what they're supposed to do, and the people who are with them follow in the way that they're supposed to follow, what happens is a stable church. The grace of God rules. It's not about a lack of forgiveness. It's not about bursts of, of uproar. But He will perfect you. That, that word means that He will take who you are and make you new. Like, like restoring an old car, making it better than it was before. He will establish you. That is, that he'll stand you up. You may get knocked down, but he'll stand you up. He will strengthen you. You will sense his strength to be able to do what he's called you to do. And finally, settle you. The, the word there means to lay a foundation, something that's solid. A church that does this will be solid. The people in the church will be solid and strong and healthy. And through our mutual submission and through our not depending on people but casting our cares on our Lord, allowing Him to be God, taking ourselves out of the equation, as we have that commitment that just says, you know what, this is my church, you guys are my people, we're in it for the long haul, I'm willing to be stretched, and I'm going to humble myself. Then God says, now I can make something of you. As long as you're just picking and choosing and, you know, leaving and returning and all that kind of stuff. I'm not picking on anybody. We all feel that way. There are some Mondays when I just feel like leaving. But, <laughs> but I'm committed. And, and if, you, if you haven't found a place to be committed, if you've been here for a while and you're just going, Dave, I just don't know if I trust you. I don't know if I can really submit to you. Then please, I beg you, if that's the case, search your heart. And if it's really about me and not about you, then start checking out other places. Find some place where you trust. Because until you're walking in submission to a leader, you will never be strong, you'll never be secure, you'll never be a part of something that will last. And so these are the consequences. If we obey Him, pastors, people in the church, if we're in it for the long haul and we're committed then a strong church and strong life is the result in our lives. We'll have people that we can count on. We'll have people that we know will always be there. We won't have to be in battle and turn around and find out they're gone. And that's Peter's concern. If we don't do this, Satan will gobble us up. If we do do this, we'll grow. We'll become healthy and we'll become strong. There was an old story about a guy who was marooned on a desert island for like 25 years and finally got rescued. And when the rescuers came, he said, well, you want me to show you around? This is where I've been living for all these years. And they said, yeah. There were three little huts and he came to the first one and they said, what's this? He goes, well, this is where I live. This is my house. They looked in there. There's a little 
hammock and everything, and it was really nice. And so then they came to the next building, and they said, what's this? He goes, this is my church. This is where I worship the Lord. He made a nice little cross and place where he could kneel down and pray, and everything was beautiful. They go, wow, that's really neat. They go, what's that third building over there? And he said, ah, that's the church I used to go to. (laughs) That's... That's very American, that's very selfish, that's not the way the church is supposed to be. And that's Peter's heart, that we're in it for the long haul with a commitment, with a submission, with a humility. Nothing will make it work when pride is in the middle. But when we humble ourselves, powerful, powerful things can happen in our lives, in our families, in our churches. He closes the book by just a few greetings. He says, by Silvanus, that was, his name was also Silas, the guy that Paul went out with in his first missionary journey. Our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying, this is the true grace of God in which you stand. So he was sending Silas to deliver the letter. And then he says, she who is in Babylon, probably a reference to the church in Babylon. There are some commentators who think he was talking about his wife, um, but I doubt if he would just go, yeah, she who is in Babylon, meaning my wife, um, probably the church, elect together with you, plural, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. John Mark had become very close to Peter. The gospel of Mark that he wrote has a whole lot of stories that only Peter would have known. And so he had become very close, and he said, he said to say hi, Greet one another with a kiss of love. Um, That was the traditional greeting in those days. Don't get any ideas. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word to us today. These are some awkward things to talk about uh, for a pastor. But it's in your word, and I want to be faithful. And Lord, by holding up first the standard that you have for me, Um, It is very humbling just to consider how many times I fail to do what, what you would have me to do and for my heart to be what you want it to be, and I repent of that, and I'm sorry. I thank you for your grace. Lord, for all the people in this church, I pray that those who are supposed to be here would have a kind of commitment that extends to when they don't agree with things, that they would allow themselves to submit, to be stretched, and to become a part of something that's, that has a great foundation and whereby each of us are pillars of the church, holding it up together, strong against the enemy, resisting the devil who wants to just gobble us up. God, please help us to be what you designed the church to be. And we will praise you and give you all the glory for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.